and amen. Thanks for being here. Open up your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Actually, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9 is our passage today. If you're a guest with us this morning, we're making our way through this letter. I don't usually title my messages, but today's title is Hard Times in the Last Days. Hard Times in the Last Days. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1. Hard times will come in the last days. So I'm not that creative. That's where I got the message (laughs) title. (laughs) For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. For among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women, overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. They are men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their foolishness will be clear to all, as was the foolishness of Jonas and Jambres. Yesterday, we went to the George H.W. Bush Presidential Library in College Station. Walking around that museum, it reminded me how there are a few people in this world who have tremendous influence over our lives. Really, how much influence our leaders in every aspect, government leaders, uh, state level leaders, spiritual leaders, leaders at work, they really dictate so much about our lives. So the important question for us is, who should we entrust ourselves to? If leaders have a tremendous amount of influence over us, who should we trust And the second question, who can trust me? Because probably at some level, you have leadership. Even if that leadership is inside of your home, you are a leader. Someone is looking to you. You have influence over their lives. So question number one, who can I trust? Question number two, who can trust me? These are questions that Timothy is wrestling with. If you remember, 2 Timothy is a letter written to a, a, a young man, Timothy, uh, who was the Apostle Paul's true son in the faith. Paul didn't have uh, a, a children of his own, but Timothy was as close to a child as he ever had. Paul is writing him this letter from prison. He mentions his chains in this letter. So you can picture him actually chained up, writing a letter to Timothy. Uh, Timothy is more than just Paul's little boy in ministry. Timothy is a great leader, a pastor of pastors himself. But Timothy has some hard decisions to make because there are two stories going on about the apostle Paul. Story number one is Paul's story. I'm in prison because I'm being faithful to the gospel of Jesus. The people I was preaching it to didn't like it. I'm in prison. 
The second story was being shared by Paul's opponents, people who didn't like him, people who disagreed with him, people who taught a different gospel than he had. And what they're saying is, sure, Paul is faithful to Jesus, but Paul is in prison because of Paul. He doesn't know how to dial it down. God has not blessed Paul. Can you imagine saying out loud, God has blessed me, therefore I am in prison? That's essentially what Paul was saying. God's favor is on my life and that favor has led me to be in prison. Well, that doesn't sound right to us. That didn't sound right to these other teachers. And so they were saying, no, Paul is in prison. That's a clear sign that we shouldn't trust him. That's a clear sign that there's something wrong with him. God is in fact cursing him and sent him to prison. And Timothy is stuck between those two stories. He has Paul, who he's loved, who he's loved like a father, who he learned the gospel from, who, who maybe he learned about Jesus from, who he followed in ministry, traveled the world with, who he loves very, very much. But he's also got these other stories in his ear. Which one am I going to choose? And so consistently throughout this letter, Paul is bringing up these bad teachers, These false leaders encouraging Timothy, don't don't follow them. And that's what these verses are about. A a reminder for Timothy. When you see people who have this kind of character and are doing these kinds of things, you can't trust them. And in fact, avoid them. Verse 1, 2 Timothy chapter 3. But know this, hard times will come in the last days. Now, anytime you start talking about the last days, we get some weird mental pictures. Uh, About an hour from my hometown, there is a televangelist who will sell you an apocalypse kit. Uh, It is a bucket of freeze-dried food. Uh, You can get a generator so that you will be able to survive the apocalypse. And in fact, Uh, He also sells condominiums and he wants you to move there because it is a neighborhood built to help you endure the apocalypse. Now, if you have bought one of his buckets, like, bless you, we love you, we're so glad that you're here. (laughs) No, genuinely, we are glad that you're here. I wouldn't have bought the bucket, but glad you're here. When we talk about the last days, it's real easy to just... Be thinking about that. People who talk about that are mm, something wrong with them. But the last days in the New Testament is, is actually a very simple idea. It's the period of time between the ascension of Jesus and the return of Jesus. So, so we're living in the last days. Right? When Jesus ascended, after he had resurrected, the apostle Peter preached a message pretty quickly after that. And his message in the first century just maybe days, weeks after Jesus' ascension was, we are living in the last days. So the last days are lasting quite a while now. But Paul is reminding Timothy, this is the time period that we are in. Uh, Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 24, when he said that the end of the age is going to be like a a woman in labor. There is moments of pain, but by the end, it increases, it ramps up. And so that's the way that Jesus described the last days, is there is a ramping up of the kind of evil that we're getting ready to read about in just a second. And Paul wants Timothy to know, this is why I'm in prison. No matter what story you've heard, this is why I'm in prison, because we are experiencing hard times 
in the last days. And Paul becomes a model for Timothy. This is how you remain faithful to Jesus in this period of time. You do whatever needs to be done, whatever the cost, remain faithful to Jesus, remain faithful to the gospel. And it is helpful, I think, for us to know where we are in the kingdom clock because it gives us more tenacity. It gives us more endurance. This was expected. I should be expecting this. I should not be surprised by this. So I'm going to keep on putting one foot in front of the other as I follow Jesus at this moment in time. And it brings a whole new level of importance to coming to church. If you come to church simply because you feel like what God is doing from heaven is just tracking your attendance and you want to make sure that you get a little star next to your name on this specific date, it's real easy to think to yourself on a Sunday morning, why am I coming? That motivation runs out pretty quickly. And I remember before we started Bayou City seven and a half years ago, I was just a regular church member just like you were. You know, like now, like I have to be there, even if I'm not feeling it, I got to be here. If I want a paycheck, I'm going to be here. But you don't have to be here. Husbands are like elbowing their wives right now. Like, see, I told you we did not have to go today. (laughs) And you don't. And uh, honestly, a bunch of you don't. Uh, We have some statistical measurements to say the average person at Bayou City comes twice a month. Uh, Now, none of us consider ourselves average, but but somebody is pulling down our average. (laughs) I don't know who it is. Um, yeah, they're not here today. That's right. <laughs> and that makes total sense. It makes total sense. If we think my job is just to get here. And once I get here, God is happy. And I'll be back. But if we understand, no, we are experiencing hard times in the last days, it makes coming to church a lot more important because ideally it should be we're bumping into one another, we're knowing one another, we're knowing each other's faith, and your faith gives me courage to keep enduring, to keep being faithful, and my faith gives you encouragement to keep being faithful. But if being faithful isn't our goal, just coming to church is our goal, then there's not a lot of purpose in coming, listening, and going back home. But if you're not coming consistently, you you are not receiving the full benefit of the church. In fact, if I could just be a little bit bold, you are actually getting the worst of us. If you are only coming, experiencing, and going home, like you, you are getting a very poor version of any church, but especially our church. Right? When you get into the bone and marrow is when you start meeting some really amazing people. I, I say all the time, the best part about our church is the people. And so if you don't really know our people because you're only coming half the time or you're not in a community group or you're not finding a place to serve. I just want to tell you, like you're, you're going to a restaurant and ordering the worst thing on the menu. Right? So, so start coming and, and, and take another step. And, and I want to encourage you, if you are an every other week person, this, seriously, there's no condemnation at all. But I do want to challenge you. There, there's a little more than 40 days between now and Easter. 
And so, um, is that right? Yeah. Sure. I told you I'm not one of the finance people. Right? <laughs> what if you decided, if right now there are empty slots on our Sunday calendar, like I don't, we're not going out of town, we don't got something penciled in already, you just made a commitment right now, we will be at church. So if somebody invites you to Austin, you're like, no, I'm not going to Austin. I'm going to church between now and Easter. I think that you'll be having a different church experience by the time we get there. But if the point is just to come, check the box, go home, you're not receiving the benefit that you need in hard times in the last days. Verse 2, this is why it will be hard for people. Most of our hard times is because of people. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud. The list goes on. We'll start with lovers of self. We have selfies in our culture. And there's nothing wrong with taking a selfie. Yesterday at the museum, I saw senior adults taking selfies. And I saw millennials taking selfies. Like everybody takes a selfie. And takes them for lots of different reasons. In fact, our three-year-old daughter, Willa, she has a toy camera. I've only ever seen her point it at herself. That is not a lie. That is not a lie. That is the God's honest truth. And I'm hoping it's just because her brain is not fully developed yet. And it's not because she's been seeing her parents only point their cameras at themselves. But it could be. Right? Because we all do it. The old people do it. Young people do it. And there's a good, there's a, there are fine reasons for taking selfies. I don't think there's nothing in the Bible about taking selfies, obviously. Right? Uh, you, know, you just want a record of you were there in a place or you're excited to see this person. There are lots of good reasons to take a selfie. There are lots of vain reasons to take a selfie. And that's what being a lover of self is. Is I love myself. I want to see myself. And I want everybody to see myself. That is probably not a good reason to do that. But where that crosses the line is something only you and God can know. When it moves from, I'm just making a record that I was here and in this place that I want to share to, I love myself. Only you through the power of the spirit will be able to discern that. But it is definitely in our culture, a love for self an allegiance to self. If there are two people who need to be served and you are one of them, what breaks the tie? Who wins? If you win, love of self. If someone else wins, love for God. Lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful and proud, when was the last time that you admitted that you were wrong? Demeaning. Your version of the Bible may have translated that, it translated that abusive. I don't know if you saw two weeks ago, the Houston Chronicle did an expose, an in-depth reporting on abuse in Baptist churches. And we are a Baptist church. So they were talking about churches just like ours, pervasive. I mean, which makes sense. People are abusive. People outside of church can be abusive. People inside of church can be abusive. Every denomination, right? But often we're allowed to just think it's someone else's problem and and not our problem, right? But even in the first century, Paul is 
talking about abuse and you can't trust abusive people. And we are taking steps to make sure that we do everything that we can do to protect you, to protect your children. Uh, About six months ago, we um, called and partnered with an organization called Grace because I was reading these articles about pastors who had made terribly abusive decisions or churches who found out about abuse in their church and then covered it up so that people didn't know. And at the end of all of those articles that I had read, and there were about four in a row, they all called this organization Grace. And I'm not a rocket scientist. I'm very clear about that. But I thought, you know what would be great is if we called them ahead of time. We call them now so that there won't be a reason to call them later, that they can help us protect one another. Uh, And so they came about four months ago and they were here on a Sunday and they went over into our kids. They were all over our campus and then gave us a list of recommendations. We set through a training. And so we're now trying to implement everything that uh, they have said. They worked with our staff. Uh, to know what to do when we learn about abusive situations. They worked with our staff to make sure that we were not abusive people because we're not going to be those people that says, well, it happens to somebody else, but it will never happen to us. We're not naive in this world. And I do want to say, if you are right now in an abusive situation, call the police. As soon as you leave, call the police. If you're not sure, well, I don't know if it's a counts in like a police kind of environment. There are lots of abuse hotlines and, and you can call them today and they will tell you exactly what you need to do next. And what you may need to do next will not be easy, but you should call someone. You are made in the image of God. And it is not his will that you would be abused. But there are abusive people. There are Abusive people inside the church, there are abusive people outside of the church, and there always have been. Paul wrote this letter to Timothy in the first century. Demeaning and abusive. His next word is disobedient to parents, which seems like a weird transition from abusive to disobedient to parents, but it is important. In fact, if you're dating somebody right now, watch how they treat their parents because how they treat their parents will be how they treat you. Ungrateful, unholy, do not entrust yourself to people who are gross. Unloving, irreconcilable, that means unappeasable, it it means never satisfied. You may have worked for somebody like that. There is always a reason for criticism. There is never a reason for encouragement. You are always doing poorly. Slanderers, Uh, slander is not issue driven. It doesn't mean we're having a disagreement over this thing. That's called criticism. And there are lots of great forms of criticism. Slander is character driven. So how they talk about others with you is how they talk about you with others. You can just write that down. How they talk about others with you is how they talk about you with others. Because slander comes from character. It doesn't actually come from that thing that they are sharing with you. Slanderers, slanderer, slander. And when you meet somebody like that, you don't entrust yourself to them. Without self-control, who is steering your ship more lately? Wisdom or emotion? Brutal, without love for what is good. Traitors, reckless, 
conceited again. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. If we use John 3.16 as our standard for love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. When you love, you give. Who are you giving to? Are you giving to the things that bring you pleasure? Or are you giving yourself to God? Who wins in the tie? You or God? Verse five, holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid these people. We're gonna come back to that in just a second. Verse six, for among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women, overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions. So now he transitions from character to manipulation. You don't wanna follow people with low character and you don't wanna follow people who manipulate. In the 17 and 1800s here in America, as the gospel expanded across the frontier, or what at least we call the frontier, there were all these little outposts that they really couldn't be considered churches because there wasn't a lot of organization. And so they had circuit riders who were preachers who would travel on horseback from place to place to place to place. And so a circuit rider would be responsible for maybe 10 outposts. And so it would take them a couple of months just to hit all of the congregations or the groups of people that they were uh, reporting to, which sounds amazing, right? Like, I don't want to be a pastor anymore. I want to be a circuit rider. And uh, I'm going to buy a horse and just we're going to have it's going to live here on property because this place looks like a farm. Right. It just sounds so amazing. Right. Well, this is what was happening in the first. I'm not really doing that just in case anybody. I don't need any emails like, well, I don't know if that's a good use of our money. Yeah, it's not. Um, That was what was happening in the first century. You have lots of people who are following Jesus, but not a lot of leaders and teachers. And so those teachers would move from congregation to congregation to congregation. That's what the book of Acts is about. This is what Paul is doing. And so they would stay with people as you would expect. Well, because these leaders were not trustworthy because they didn't have good motives because they had low character and they manipulated people. They would stay in the homes of what Paul refers to as gullible women. Now, this is not a blanket statement about women any more than he's making a blanket statement about men in verse eight. The, they are men who are corrupt in mind and worthless. He's talking about a specific situation. So when he writes this, he knows who he's talking about. This has happened to one, two, three, four different women probably in and around Ephesus because that was where the churches that Timothy was responsible for. So he's telling Timothy something Timothy already knows. You know what happened when they stayed with those women. They took advantage of them, right? Those women were not discerning. They they were not shrewd as serpents in Jesus's words. And so these leaders, they manipulated them. And these particular women had some issues going on themselves, a variety of passion overwhelmed by sins that may have led to them being more vulnerable than they might have otherwise been. But this can happen to anybody. In fact, the first couple of years of, of our church, there was a, a, a young couple that came in one Sunday and they were winsome and kind and they, 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 they were great uh, people to talk to and, and they started just jumping in. In fact, I think they came to church that morning and went to a community group that was being held that night. Well, when they got to a community group, they were telling more of their story, as happens when you're in a community group setting. And um, we found out that they were actually living in their car. 
Um, they would sleep in the parking lot of the Walmart because she was pregnant. And so uh, she was having to go to the restroom a little bit more than normal. And the Walmart was open 24 hours a day. And so they were kind of taking sink baths inside the Walmart. And as I mentioned earlier, the best part of Bayou City is the people. And so our people immediately said, that's not okay. And found them a hotel that they could stay in in the week, paid for all of it. We started trying to figure out as a church, how can we take care of them? How can we transition them from their car into a more sustainable thing? Or thinking about that baby that was going to be born. It couldn't be born in that kind of situation. So we're talking to them, trying to help them make this transition over a period of about a week and a half. And it was like the more they told their story, you know, you have that first person who kind of has a question mark, but you don't want to be the first person to be the cynic or the, the someone that says, I don't know, something doesn't feel right. Long story short, this was their pattern. They would move from congregation to congregation, town to town, get as much as they could from the church. And when the church found out, they would just move on to the next church and to the next uh, town, right? This can happen to anybody. It can happen to any group of people. It can happen to any, anybody. We have to be discerning. We always have to be asking the question, who can I trust and who can trust me in these difficult days that we're living in? Verse seven, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. So these women that these leaders were taking advantage of, they wanted to learn. They weren't opposed to truth. They were always learning and never changing. They were, they were not discerning to be able to see that these are men that we, that we can't trust because they were in a pattern of, I hear, I hear, I hear, and I don't obey in what I'm hearing, and for that I do not condemn them. Let me just think about how many messages you've heard in the last year, if you're a regular attender. Quite a few. When was the last time you remember hearing something from this stage and you actually made a change? Not said, oh, I need to remember that, or oh, that was good, or oh, that was for me. But you came in one person and you did the hard work of becoming another person. I bet for most of us, it's been a long time. That's why when we get to moments as a church family where we confess our sins, confess them to God, sometimes confess them to one another, aren't we just confessing the same things over and over again? I am. Always learning. Never changing. It prevented them from being able to discern, should I trust this person? Should I follow them? Then he goes on to use a specific historical example. Verse 8, just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. They are men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their foolishness will be clear to all, as was the foolishness of Janus and Jambres. These names are not mentioned anywhere else in the scripture, but Jewish history has them as two of the magicians used by Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 7. If you remember, when we were reading through the scripture uh, about a month ago, we were in Exodus and... God is going to rescue the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And so he sends Moses and Moses' brother Aaron to be the one to tell Pharaoh, hey, God's people are leaving. 
And of course, Pharaoh does not want to do that. He doesn't want to lose his free workforce. And so he says, I don't think so. So God uses plagues. He uses signs and wonders to lean on Pharaoh, to push Pharaoh so that Pharaoh will will relent. And the first one was Moses and Aaron uh, threw down their staff and their staff turned to a snake. Well, the scripture says, the Bible says that the magicians of Egypt threw down their staffs and their staffs turned to snakes. So Jewish history tells us the magicians' names, Janus and Jambres, right? So what Paul is saying is just like eventually what happened in Exodus, God's signs and wonders could not be replicated eventually. They were able to do something about the first one. And in the first chapter that the plagues are mentioned, chapter seven, they're in it. But by the end of the plagues, the magicians are nowhere to be found because they just could not compete with the one true God. Paul is saying, eventually these false teachers that he's referring to, the truth is going to come out. They, they cannot stop the gospel. They are worthless for the faith, he says, but the gospel is going to keep marching on. The truth is going to keep going forward. Go back up to verse five, the one that we skipped. Holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid these people. This is the scary thing. When you see this list, lovers of self, boastful, proud, brutal, slanderers, we think, well, of course I would not entrust myself to anyone who had this kind of character. But the scary thing is, is that these teachers in 2 Timothy, that's who they were, but they covered it with a costume of godliness. So just look at people out of the corner of your eye right now. I wonder how many of us are wearing a costume today. We're living in the last days. These are difficult times. You and I have to be alert. There are people who we cannot trust. There are people who will manipulate us. And also, lest I become too judgmental, can people trust me? Let's pray.